Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Yeah, good morning at you. Talk radio without the static. No, we took the static and we have a buzz instead. Sometimes. Who the heck knows? How you doing? Happy spring. Don't go out there. What's dangerous is not the snow or the snow-covered roads. It is the people driving. A bunch of uh, idiots out there, so be careful. Um, There is so much news. Uh, I remember back in the day, before pre-Trump, when I would walk in to do a talk show with three hours you know, this gaping hole to fill of three hours uh, in front of me and thinking, what the hell am I going to talk about? You know, things were sort of moving along. The government was functional. Things were, life was good. What did we know? And now my problem is not what will I talk about. It's like, where do I start and uh, what can I leave out, and what maybe is on your minds, that I don't know. Um, I know I I tuned into CNN early this morning just to see what they're focusing on, and of course they're just fixated on Trump and also the the fact that the Austin bomber uh, was, uh, I believe, neutralized is the the word uh, that they employ. do not congratulate. That is uh, was in the president's briefing about his phone call that he was going to make to Russian President uh, Vladimir Putin, who had just been reelected. <laughs> Do not congratulate. They actually put it in all caps to get our idiot president's attention. He calls up Vlad, and the first thing he does is what? Yeah, he congratulates him. He also fails to in any way uh, voice our concern, our anger uh, about the uh, attack on the two Russians in in England. Uh, he doesn't say boo about the sanctions. He doesn't say anything. It's just no. This is a real bromance that's going on. And apparently the White House is going ballistic today uh, because there was a leak about the do not congratulate uh, thing, which he failed to uh, follow. I don't care. I can only take so much of him, so I'm going to move on. Again, so much news. Meanwhile, the president's wife yesterday kicked off her cyberbullying campaign, (laughs) which has to be the funniest. I mean, I'll leave it to the, uh, the comedians to uh, kick that baby around. Uh, This woman married to the biggest, baddest cyber bullier in the history of the universe, and uh, she is campaigning against it. Oh, God. So, I see all these lawsuits coming at Trump from the women he has wronged other than his wife. And, you know, a funny thing tells me that these have maybe more potential to take the guy down. I don't know. 
you had a, a judge, a state court judge in New York uh, yesterday ruling that a lawsuit uh, brought, a defamation suit brought by a woman who had been a contestant on The Apprentice uh, back in, um, I don't know when, 2016 perhaps, no, I think it was before that, that that could go forward uh, because, as the judge said, no one is above the law. Nothing in the Supremacy Clause of the United States Constitution even suggests that the president cannot be called to account before a state court for wrongful conduct that bears no relation to any federal executive responsibility. The president is saying, you can't sue me. I'm the president of the United States. The judge is saying, yeah, so? So that suit going forward. Um, meanwhile, we got this Playboy Playmate who's come out of the woodwork, or, or not. I suppose she uh, initially uh, tried to get some attention, but that was before the Me Too movement really took off. And she's being listened to now. And she also has a um, contract that uh, keeps her from talking about her relationship with Donald Trump. And what happened to her is that the Donald was actually protected by the National Enquirer. The guy who owns the National Enquirer actually heads in, uh, a, a company called American Media Inc. And that guy is a real friend to Donald Trump. And so when the play-by-playmate came over to National Enquirer, assuming they would love this story, they acted like they did. And they said, oh, we do, we do, we do. And they said, we'll pay you. We'll pay you whatever they paid her, 150000 I believe. We'll pay you $150,000 for the exclusive rights to your story about you and Donald Trump. And she signed, she got the money, and they never ran anything. That was called in the despicable business that the Inquirer is in. That's called a catch and kill. You grab a story, you get it, you own it, and then you kill it. And you do that for a variety of reasons. Often it can be used to, I suppose, get other stories from perhaps the person that you're protecting. At any rate, this woman says that she was misled into signing that contract, that she believed that they were going to run the story. It's her story, although legally it isn't anymore since she signed off on that anyway. So she is now in the picture, along with Stormy Daniels and also the um, woman from The Apprentice. These are three cases moving forward, any of which could potentially uh, create a situation where Donald Trump, the President of the United States, much like Bill Clinton, the President of the United States, got snared in sexual wrongdoing, 
uh, and that snare resulted in his appearance before a, um, a uh, what do you call it, grand jury, in which he was deposed. And uh, this could well happen to Donald Trump. And we all know the Donald well enough to know that if that does happen, the chances of his lying under oath are pretty, pretty great. In part because he seems incapable of discerning uh, the difference between the truth and what he wants the truth to be. So all of that is uh, interesting to me. Um, I got lots of little things here that I want to toss at you. If uh, anybody is inclined, feel free to uh, jump in. Email lynn at pghcitypaper.com or you can give me a phone call and you see the number there on your screen because I'll be damned if I know it. What is that number? 857. Let me try to remember it. 8412. 856, is that right? No. 8676321. I know there's a bunch of zeros at the, toward the end. I used to have it on that little thing, but now we've gone digital. 412 200 5686. Jeez, I wasn't even close. 200 5686, if you care to call. This is left over from a few days ago. Uh, one of you did email me. What were we talking about? We were talking about women's voices. And I, for, I forget whose voice. Thank you. <laughs> We've resurrected one of the old little things we used to tape to my computer. That's good. I could write it on my hand, I suppose. Uh, we were talking about women's voices and how they often do not carry authority. If a woman has the unfortunate thing, you know, to talk in a really high register, um, I think a lot of us are conditioned to find that girlish and consequently not authoritative. And um, I forgot one of you wrote and 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 said that you could never stand some woman's voice, I forget whose, because it was so, yeah, high and unappealing and, and this and that. And, um, you know, Nikolai wrote in after the show, and he reminded me, have you ever heard the recordings of Eleanor Roosevelt? Well, yes, I have. And her voice, oh my God, she was taught to speak as a high-born woman of uh, a certain age back then, was told how to speak. And it was very high, and she sounded like that. And yet... Eleanor Roosevelt, ladies and gentlemen, was a force to be reckoned with. So um, I, I just wanted to point that out because it's true. But she had, you have to admit, 
that our ears are conditioned in a certain way. I mean, I have this conditioning. So that a high girlish voice um, puts me off, actually. It does. I admit it. Uh, okay, I'm just that was just clean up from another thing. Uh, uh, something else that uh, my son uh, alerted me to was the fact that one of these Fox News uh, collaborators, a guy who's been over at Fox News for uh, over a decade, uh, a former intelligence official and a military guy, has resigned saying he can no longer sleep at night if he is party to uh, what Fox News is all about. Uh, his name is Ralph Peters, and uh, if you hadn't seen uh, some of what he said, I'll read you a little snippet. Uh, he's got, there's blowback on Twitter saying, oh, well, for 10 years you did nothing but do exactly what you're now saying you cannot abide anymore, uh, which is true. He actually got uh, uh, suspended at one point from Fox, which takes some doing, uh, for something he called uh, President Obama. And uh, he couldn't tolerate Obama, this guy. And But here's what he has said. Four decades ago, I took an oath as a newly commissioned officer that oath did not expire when I took off my uniform. Today, I feel that Fox is assaulting our constitutional order and rule of law while fostering corrosive and unjustified paranoia among viewers. Over my decade with Fox, I long was proud of the association. Now, I am ashamed. Now, somebody like me can say, yeah, what, uh, what finally, uh, what, I've been watching this, Do I've watched them uh, assault constitutional order and sow paranoia, mistrust, uh, false news uh, among a, a huge hunk of the American population, and you were part of all that, and all of a sudden now, and what it is now, it's Donald Trump. <laughs> this guy can't tolerate the fact that he is associated with a so-called news organization, which he says it is not. It is simply a propaganda machine. And he, apparently he didn't see it when Barack Obama was the president, but he sees it now. I say better late than never, whatever. He also said... When primetime hosts who have never served our country in any capacity dismiss facts and empirical reality to launch profoundly dishonest attacks on the FBI, the Justice Department, the courts, the intelligence community in which I served, and not least a model public servant and genuine war hero such as Robert Mueller, all the while scaremongering with lurid warnings of deep state machinations. I cannot be part of the same organization 
To me, Fox News is now wittingly harming our system of government for profit. Well, Mr. Peters, you're late to the game, but I will welcome you. That's exactly what they are doing. And I have said, if there's ever a rogues gallery uh, that is um, put down in history books about what killed American democracy, way, way at the very tippy top is going to be a man named Roger Ailes, the brainchild behind Fox News. So, yes, yeah, Fox News wittingly, knowingly harming our government, our system of democracy for profit, for filthy lucre. There is nothing more despicable. So all of a sudden he realized he's been part of a den of uh, traitorous vipers. As I said, a little late, but uh, I appreciate uh, anybody getting woke at uh, any time. Ralph Peters, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Mark writes, have you heard? There is a new term that describes finance law as practiced by the likes of Michael Cohen. That would be uh, the president's lawyer, right? It's smile, the S being a dollar sign. It's smile? No, I can't read. It's smilf. You know, I'm a person who when I take an eye test, they have that big E at the top. I see an F. In this case, there was an F and I saw an E. Smilf. Concise and easy to understand. Remind me of what MILF means. My, you don't know? Oh, you can't say it? What? <coughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, Carlo couldn't hardly say I appreciate it. I'm sorry, Carlo. Mothers, I'd like to F. Jesus H. Okay. Jeez. Okay. And, um, uh, here's something that brought up something that is, I'm going to say something again. Here's something that brings up something that is something that it drives me crazy. But it, I've never been able to uh, get people to stop doing it. And that is when people talk about people who use wheelchairs, the verb they use is always what? Confined. Confined. And so-and-so is confined to a wheelchair. That's what I always said. And then about, geez, 30 years ago, I found myself for the first time hosting the Cerebral Palsy Telethon. And in doing that, obviously I was dealing with a lot of people confined to a wheelchair. And many of them and the folks at uh, United Cerebral Palsy uh, educated me. 
they said, that is just so wrong. Wheelchairs do the exact opposite of confining a disabled person, a person who cannot walk. Think about it. They do the exact opposite. They don't confine them. They give them mobility. The wheelchair is a liberating device. I can't get that through anybody else's head. I had to have it right because I was doing the cerebral palsy telethon. It's, again, this is a phrase so ingrained that even the best intentioned people don't realize that it's, it's just wrong. And it's, it makes the person in the wheelchair, it lessens them, right? They're imprisoned. They're confined. It draws attention to a fact about them, which is they cannot walk. What does the wheelchair do? It lets them be mobile. And I was reminded of this because a woman who's been in a wheelchair since she was a child wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal today. And what set her off is a lot of what has been written about Stephen Hawking since his, since his death. And uh, what really blew her brains was a cartoon, which I think I saw as well, and it was a cartoon of an empty wheelchair with Hawking somehow floating free amongst the stars. And I understand what people think, but people who are in wheelchairs get a lot of, first of all, by virtue of being in a wheelchair, you're below anybody who's standing up, right? So you get, people don't realize, you end up infantilizing somebody in a wheelchair. People in a wheelchair will tell you if they're, uh, sometimes they're actually not spoken to, There's, whoever's with them is addressed, as if somehow being in a wheelchair means they can't talk, they can't think, Um uh, so the wheelchair to anyone who, whose life depends on it is a liberating device. And the word confined doesn't belong with the word liberating, does it? They're exact opposites. So she brings all this home. Uh, she said, you know, you look at some of this with what was said about Hawking, and she said people even came somewhat close to reducing Hawking to a victim of his disability who was actually fortunate now to be dead since now he was freed and liberated. And she says, it's so frustrating to see Hawking's wheelchair viewed as a prison he has finally escaped. The idea that wheelchairs hold people back is such an outdated misconception. In fact, they do just the opposite. 
they're not a hindrance. They're an incredible tool that gives people with disabilities freedom and power and a chance to thrive in a world that's been created for able-bodied people. And to see those in wheelchairs as anything less is insulting. I'm just, I'm telling you, it's, I've done this before, I don't see any, and the, it's media who need to stop it. Uh, media, you know, media often lead the way. The cartoonists, the, anybody writing about someone in a wheelchair, using the word confined or a synonym like it, it just is wrong. It's wrong. You listen to the people who live full lives because they have a wheelchair. Just saying. Okay, something else. I'm just jumping from thing to thing today. Did you see the latest from Harrisburg? God help us. I do realize that our legislature, and if we don't start doing something about this, I don't know what's to become of this commonwealth. The Republicans totally own it. They own it. There are, what, over 200 seats in the House in Harrisburg, which is absurd, a body that big. 200 seats, over 200. And do you know how many Democrats hold? Let me see. 81. They aren't just in a minority. They're like, uh, they're superfluous. And that's, and, and stop and think about it. So that's the, that, that's, uh, that's how we, that's how you are represented in the state. You're not. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And without Tom Wolf, uh, the only Democrat, and without his power as governor to veto, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What havoc this Republican state legislature would wreak. Uh, in the Senate, 34 Republicans to 16 Democrats. Now, you remember that because Tom Wolf will be running for re-election. And dear... God in heaven, if we don't reelect him. Oh, dear. So, you know what happened. The Supreme Court said to the Republicans in, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court said to Republicans the other day, eh, we're not taking this case you want us to take. You're having a hissy fit, and we're not going to be part of it. The hissy fit, of course, being the fact that the state Supreme Court uh, reconfigured the congressional districts because the Republicans, who had the power, the legislative power to do so, did it in an illegal manner. They gerrymandered. They rigged it. And another appeals court that they appealed to. They had appeals going here and appeals going there. Psst, turned them down. 
So what is now in front of the House of Representatives in Harrisburg? A resolution to impeach four Democrats on the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. They want to kick them out because they didn't like their ruling. I mean, this is such an outrage. It really is. Here's the problem. They could do it. They need, I think, just a majority vote to get the articles of impeachment out of the House. And God knows, as I said, they've got way, 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 way more than that. Then it would go to the Senate. And as I told you, the Senate. I don't know, is somebody good at math over here? Okay, if there are 50 people in the Senate, what constitutes two-thirds? What number? What's two-thirds of 50? Is anybody coming up with anything? Come on, somebody, because I can't. I'm a clueless. Any of you? Two-thirds of 50. Because that's how many? 33? About. 33? That's what you would need to... You'd need 33 Republican senators to say, yeah, we impeach them, and they're gone. What did I tell you? The Republicans in the Senate have 34 seats. So, unless there are some honorable Republicans in Harrisburg, uh, this is something they could do, literally toss out almost half of the Supreme Court, all of them Democrats. I've never heard of such a thing. Actually, I think it was done in Iowa. Caused an unbelievable stir. Something, although, although I think that was done by the, by the citizenry in a vote. I don't think we, anybody's ever seen this. And again, it shows that Republicans just, they fight with every quiver, every arrow in their quivers, and it, when their arrows are gone, they'll pick up stones, rocks. It doesn't matter. They never stop. And it's one reason that they control our state legislature, because Democrats, <laughs> that goes to not only the party, but it goes to the voters. <laughs> Oh, it's not an interesting election. I don't know. It's something about state house. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? They don't do anything. You do know that the closer a governmental entity is to you, the more power they have over you. Hence, the local government, the school board, has more impact on you than the federal government. In between those two, the state government has more impact on your lives, your quality of life, your pocketbook, all kinds of stuff. And voters don't seem to care about 
who holds that power. Mind-boggling. Some of you know that I was a secretary for years. I was a legal secretary. Um, Melly Shields, Walker and Peas, may I help you? Uh, yeah, I was a secretary for years. And one of the things that I saw happen more than once is if something went awry, something went wrong, the attorneys that I worked for, if they could, would blame the secretary. Oh, my secretary should have told me that, even if the secretary had. Oh, my secretary should have... Mm. Secretaries, women, are on the front lines. I used to love it when uh, I worked at Channel 4, and for some reason the network would preempt the daytime soap operas for some news-breaking event of some sort, and the poor receptionist who had to answer the phone, essentially the secretary, would be on the phone answering one enraged human after, where's days of our lives? I don't want to watch this. You know, and she, madam, um, I can't. And again, it would be whatever men make these choices, and then women are left to take the heat. I bring this up because it's what I was reminded about when the inimitable Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, brain surgeon Ben Carson, before a House Appropriations Subcommittee yesterday. He's being queried, and they're trying to assess what the budget for his agency should be. And so, since it's been in the news of late, they were kind of interested in how he came to buy a dining room set for $31,000 when there is a cap of $5,000 for the redecorating of any office. Apparently, no Trump uh, cabinet secretary got that memo uh, because... As we heard the other day, was it Zinke, I think, who had the doors to his office refurbished for over $100,000? <laughs> but here we have Dr. Carson, and he threw his wife under the bus. He said, my wife did it. I left it to my wife, you know he said, to the other guys. And they all, I'm sure, nodded. Oh, yeah, the wife. Yeah, the wife. They're always spending our money. That's right. I left it to my wife, you know. I dismissed myself from the issue. Well, never mind that a bunch of emails that have been released under the Freedom of Information Act show that he was very much involved. <laughs> Oh, my God, the lies, the scapegoating, the women taking the fall. Jeez. Threw his wife under the bus. Big shock. Where are you guys? 
Are you shoveling snow? That might be. It could be. Okay. Well, then, to heck with you. Here's what I'm doing. I'm reading my papers this morning. I'm reading the Wall Street Journal. Not the editorial page. I am looking at the front page, and lo and behold, there is a story about scrunchies. I know it's not huge in a world that seems to be imploding, but do you know what a scrunchie is? Carl, you're a guy. Do you know what a scrunchie is? Oh, he does. Okay. It's a hair thing, right? Hold your hair here. Scrunchy. All right? They can be a lot more intricate, but it's essentially a rubber band with fabric around it. Who knew? I did not. Who knew? That there are people... I will just read you a quote from somebody. A caller, see. If you complain, you get a caller. Uh, here it is. A woman who says that she judges when she sees other co-workers in scrunchies, she silently judges them. Quote, it's not as funny when girls that I'm not friends with wear them because then I can't make fun of them. And there's this whole article about how I've been wearing these for a long time since I started pulling my hair back, and it turns out that people apparently laughing behind my back because I have one of these holding my hair back. What the F is that about? Why? It's nicer for my hair than a, oh, geez. It's just beyond belief. This is the kind of, this is bullying. We have a call. Hello, caller. Yes, Lynn. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Yes, Lynn. George. George from uh, mm -hmm. I told you I recognize hello? your voice. I recognize your voice. <laughs> okay, 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 man. Uh, back off on the coffee. Yeah. I don't drink um, coffee. I owed you a call. What's that? I don't drink coffee. I do no caffeine. Ooh. Hmm, must be something else. No, um, it's, it's no, it's not. Passion for life. No, what do you think? I'm snorting coke? No. I no, wake no, up no, I wake up like God intended me to wake up. I wake up and I get moving <laughs> and I don't need some drug. Yeah. Eh -eh. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's passion for life. Yes. That's what you have. Right. It shows it shows. Um enough of the scrunchies. Yeah, let's get on to something more serious here. Uh, I owe you a call from the uh, from the meeting at the ACLU downtown. Okay. That, uh, <clears throat> there was, was an annual informative. An yeah. Yes, the annual ACLU Pittsburgh meeting was Monday night. Uh, was very informative and dramatic and uh, heart wrenching about the different cases they had with the actual clients there. That was right. uh, outstanding. It's always, always uh, fascinating to see the uh, the varied, varied clientele—people who turned to the ACLU and were and were helped. 
by right. them. Yeah, it's always and, eye-opening. And um, ran into a couple new faces there at the reception afterwards, an Air Force uh, retired pilot. And that's what I wanted to comment to you about. What? I mean, I usually usually meet the legal types, the, uh, the yeah. uh, very concerned for many civil rights issues types. Yeah, but not but a pilot. The first time I've run into a military guy, he had an Air Force cap on, and we uh, engaged him in conversation because I'm an Air Force veteran. And we talked about the military, and uh, and then I just popped the question on him and said, what's an Air Force guy doing here at the ACLU, and how long you've been a member, and, and all that? Because I think that with the defamation of the ACLU over the years, for, that I've heard from a lot of veterans, that uh, this was an exception. So uh, we proceeded. And I never got the whole story, but uh, from what he generally was going into, he mentioned about some personal injustice, which then led to my conversation with my friend Barry, who's mm-hmm. a retired attorney, mm-hmm. that you met. Yeah. Are you still with me there? Yeah, I am. Okay. <laughs> so here, here's the point of it. Uh, in our discussion, our three-way discussion, then afterwards, uh, as we walked back to our cars and everything, um, uh, Barry and I were talking, and we left, and we were talking on the way home, and uh, we were talking about what got us into the American Civil Liberties Union. Right. What was the experience or the event that caused us to uh, pursue it, join it, support it over the years? Mm-hmm. And he told me it was his experience as a young man in Philadelphia, uh, junior in college, um, when he was arrested in a toy shop, <laughs> of all things. Yeah. And taken, yes, he was opening boxes uh, to inspect a certain xylophone that he was going to buy for his niece. And he some of them looked like they were used or misused or broken or something, and so he proceeded. But apparently the storekeeper told him to stop and leave the store. And he apparently stopped, but the storekeeper proceeded to call the police. And they came immediately, and they asked him uh, for some identification, and he refused. So they uh, arrested him, and took him down to the Philadelphia police station and uh, uh, further questioned him and everything. Ultimately, he was released. Yeah. But he said that experience of being um, taken under arrest by the police over such a simple matter and him just simply refusing to identify himself initially got him arrested. He uh-huh. thought that was outrageous. Yeah. So I gave him my experience. My experience was I was in the Air Force. I was about 20 years old up in Massachusetts, and uh, we were proceeding into a weekend on a Friday, and off duty, and I go, we, me and another fellow airman went down to the end of the runway where we had a salvage yard where cars were abandoned, decaying, falling apart. And it was common knowledge you could down there and you retrieve a part for your car because us 
poorly paid airmen oh, sure. needed to do everything we could yeah. to keep our vehicles yeah. going. So we do it. So the air police, known as security police today, came along and picked us up and arrested us and brought us back for interrogation. And they laid into us and intimidated us and threatened us. Uh, and maybe I got in deeper trouble because he said he was going to call my mother <laughs> <laughs> well. if I didn't tell him the whole truth. And I laughed. And I laughed. And he said it wasn't serious matter and everything. So anyway, what happened was uh, I told him the whole story. I said, look, it's a common thing. We get down there and we take the parts and everything. And it's not government property. It's personal property. It's been abandoned. What's the problem here, here, policeman? And they brought in the OSI and everything. It was like a major investigation. I thought it was just totally absurd. So I had to report to the commander. I lost the whole weekend. We were held to barracks, like arrest, for the entire two-and-a-half-day weekend. Had to face the commander, and a letter of reprimand was put into my file. And I thought it was outrageous to yeah. be treated like that. Yeah. Now, of course, this is military justice. Yeah, well. But it yeah. sparked my interest then. I go to college two years later out at CMU, and I see and I hear about the ACLU on the side street there in Oakland. Yeah. And I go in there, and I meet Mary and Demick. <laughs> and we talk. Yeah. And that's where that's it all where began you got. with me. Yeah. So we had a common feeling of that me and Barry that you that I don't know about other people, but it seems that a common experience of injustice is, is what what springs us to action. Maybe so, and especially to the ACLU. Well, is I think for a lot of people, it's not experience? no not the case for me. I just did it because I okay I wanted to uh, join the organization, and as I said. Uh, a few days ago. I mean, it's just amazing since Donald Trump's presidency, it has the membership it's nationwide has growth. more than quadrupled. Uh, we're pushing three million members uh, nationwide, where we were only about a half a million before Trump. Right. So right. I mean, it's just it's amazing, and it, it's a. So what what it is is that the Trump the Trump period has brought on the threat. And the actuality of well, justice. you're seeing. I mean, yeah, the news is so full of people's uh, obvious being civil rights being up. violated, and and so, right. and and he is so clearly somebody who has not a clue about uh, civil right. rights. So that's all. I guess in some ways it's good for the ACLU, but uh, it'd be just as no, good if he got good. rid of um, his power. Right. But so back, back on your reason yeah. for going on, real quick, what, you said it wasn't because of injustice, it was what? No, it's just a desire to throw... Personal friend? No, it's just a desire to throw my hat in with him. I, I forget what the news story was. It was somebody who was accused of being a card-carrying member of the ACLU, and uh, I ran immediately to make sure that I had a card. I, I think I'd supported <laughs> them in the... Past. How old were you? Where was that? No, it w I was in my maybe twenties. I don't know. I, I it's been a long in, time, uh, long, long time. Up in Green Bay? No. In college? Probably in Madison, Wisconsin. So okay, so okay. that's where I joined. I mean, yeah. So nothing. you haven't been done uh, any injustice? No, <laughs> no, I've escaped. <laughs> I have escaped so right. far, uh, but you know, the 
I don't know. Time's still ticking. It could happen. But uh, thank you. Well, it George. is happening. You're you're a woman. You're yeah. a woman. You're being dealt with at different times. That's right. George, you thank you. Yeah. Thank you for Okay, sorry to chew up so much time. I yeah. just wanted to get that story. Okay. Off. All righty. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. See you. Henry writes about impeachment. Even if they impeach these four Democratic judges, that would not reverse the redrawing of the map. I'll tell you what's going to reverse the redrawing of the map, Henry. The 2020, well, the election, all the elections between now and 2020, when the new census is taken, right? Because after the new census in 2020, less than two years, that census is used by state legislatures to redraw districts. Have we thought about that? The, these, the map that the state Supreme Court came up with is only good until the next census. And the next census is in the blink of an eye. And it will re be redrawn by whom? The state legislature. Need I remind you of what the numbers are there? So all these hyperventilating Republicans just need to relax. Because they're going to have the power very soon unless we throw them all out, which I have very little faith will be done, and let Democrats take over the legislature so they can retain that map. Mm -mm. So you're right. The impeachment is absurd. I don't think it's going to happen cooler heads will prevail and they'll say to these guys exactly what I just said. Hey, just wait. Cool your jets. It's going to be okay. We're going to ultimately be able to do this again. Uh, so, okay, um, what else do I have here? Oh, oh yeah, there's this. And I didn't hear about this. This is the kind of thing that makes me nuts. Apparently, the pop star Bruno Mars has been being ripped apart by the fascists on the left. Um, who've decided that he has done uh, cultural appropriation, that his music is, um, why can't I shut this up? Uh, I will, I will, I will. Where is it? Where is it? Where's the little ding? Huh. I got it. I'm so media savvy. No, it's still there. Uh, oh, yeah, here. Thank you. Uh, so somebody on, was it Twitter or something, some <laughs> social media said that all he does is take pre-existing work, 
and he just, uh, you know, completely word for word recreates it. He doesn't create it himself. He doesn't improve upon it. He doesn't make it better. He's the person you hire to do Michael Jackson and Prince covers. Yet Bruno Mars has an Album of the Year Grammy. Prince never won an Album of the Year Grammy. But he takes black music all the time and takes it for his own. Now, just so we get things straight here. And, oh, I mean, people started piling on. Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Cultural appropriation, cultural appropriation. First of all, Bruno Mars is not white. I'll say that right now. No, he's not black. But he's brown. His mother's Filipino. His father's Puerto Rican. Does that mean he can only, what, sing Filipino songs or uh, have a mariachi band? What the hell does that mean? Jesus. He's even part Jewish. He could do Hava Nagila, but that's it. So guess what? Someone asked Stevie Wonder what he thought. And God bless him. He said, he thought the, the very question he was asked, is Bruno Mars culturally appropriating African-American music? Is he doing anything inappropriate? And Stevie Wonder, if he could roll his eyes, what, rolled his eyes and said, are you kidding me? He said, here's the thing. God created music for all of us to enjoy. So we can't limit ourselves because of people's fears and insecurities. Bruno is a great talent, so all the other stuff is just bullshit, Stevie Wonder said. He was inspired, said Stevie, by great musicians and great artists and songwriters. So it's cool. What is with people? I mean... It's so un-American, this idea of cultural appropriation. The entire idea of America is cultural appropriation. We invite people, used to, we invite people from all different cultures, races, everybody, and we do this thing and we take their food and we take their music and we're enriched by it. We take their language, we take their clothes, we take their hair, how they wear their whatever, and we're enriched by it. Nobody owns these things. I think rather than feeling like something's being taken from you, you should feel pride if something is appropriated from your culture by others, because it says, wow, that's cool, wow, that's wonderful, wow, I want that too. Appropriation, it seems to me, is a tip of the hat. Now, I understand that often a white performer 
we'll take something that a black musician did. It's not so true anymore, God knows. <laughs> but used to be, right? But not so much anymore. And for this all to be, come on, guys. As a Jew, should I like, uh, I don't know, I'll firebomb a uh, Brugger's Bagels because they're not Jews, a bagel's Jewish. The next time the uh, guy at uh, PNC Park plays on the organ, Hava Nagila, which for some reason he does on occasion, I, I should like protest, how dare you? When somebody uses a word like schlep, I should get my panties in a twist because it's a Yiddish word. What are you, a ganif? That's Yiddish for thief. I'm sorry, nothing makes me crazier. Nothing makes me crazier than this kind of bullshit. And it's leftist fascism. I don't, I, it is stupid. Friggin' stupid. It doesn't mean you can't acknowledge the wrongs of the past where things were taken and not, uh, and people made money while the person who created didn't make money. That does not happen anywhere near as much anymore. Just look at who the big, the big music people are. Seems to me black people own our culture. <laughs> Often that's the case. That it is minority cultures that are the richest. By the, as soon as you become a majority, you get weak. You get less creative. It's because power, I mean, it's pushing against power that creates comedy that creates art, that creates all this stuff. Once you're in power, it seems like almost the artistic impulse dies. Pretty much. Kara uh, writes, have you heard of Fair Districts PA? It's an organization trying to get the redistricting out of the hands of the legislature and into the hands of a committee of regular people, which is something that other states have done. That is what has to happen. Fair Districts PA, that's a great organization. I should actually have them on. Because what I said will happen. The Republicans will go right back and rig it again. Ray on cultural appropriation. Anyone complaining about cultural appropriation in English not from England, is guilty themselves. I don't I might be able to argue that one. Because if l English is the lingua franca, is that, what, is that the term? It's the language that all people are supposed to speak once they come to this country. It's not really a choice. I don't think individually you appropriate the English language. If you want to get along, you speak the English language, right? I think that's different than appropriation. 
that is the majority sort of imposing upon the minority. This is the language you speak. So I, I, don't, I, I would argue that one, Ray. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, back to scrunchies, just because our time is up, and I have to quickly tell you, it turns out that scrunchies got, got into this where it's like embarrassing to have a scrunchie. You know what caused it? An episode of an episode of Sex in the City. Speaking of culture, oh, oh, an episode of Sex in the City in 2003 when Carrie Bradshaw tells her boyfriend, no woman would be caught dead at a hip downtown restaurant wearing a scrunchie. And that was the end of the scrunchie. Guess who wears a scrunchie? I do. Guess who else wears a scrunchie? Ruth Bader Effen Ginsburg. And she's quoted in the article as saying, I have been wearing scrunchies for years. I rest my case. Thank you all very much. Okay. If anyone wants to find out what, what was the ethnic or the culture of the person who invented the scrunchie, we'll find out if we're, um, which of us are guilty of cultural appropriation for using one, okay? Thank you very much. Don't shovel the snow. It'll all melt tomorrow. And uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live. Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.